We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience, presented by DraftKings, the year's third major U.S. Open early DraftKings picks and preview. You're looking for the finalized DraftKings picks, along with the final bets, everything like that, one and done. And the weather Wednesday with Tambo is going to be on Mayo Media Network, so subscribe right now. And as you'll find out in a few minutes, it's going to get you some ballots into a draw for $500 cash, maybe in your pockets, just by subscribing. Smash the like button to the episode. Now that DraftKings pricing is out, in the comment section, give me your best value from below $7,000. I'm still searching for that best value. I got a couple guys right at 7000 but they don't qualify for this. Below $7,000, I want to hear from you. Ben Raza from Stochastic.com on the line, as is Kenny Kim from Gup's Corner and the Fantasy Golf Degenerates. Kenny, just before we get started, can you tell everyone about your favorite hole here, the Cock and Balls Hole? Yeah, the Cock and Balls Hole. It's the best hole, I think. It's funny. 15, the the 125-yard par 3. Uh, The green is shaped like cock and balls. Like, if you look at it, the the balls are on top. The cock sort of comes down, uh, uh, down towards the uh, the front, uh, closer to the hole. So depending on the pin location, you can have like an eighty yard hole or like a hundred forty five yard hole. And if the hole, if the pin is like in the cock part, right, like it's very very narrow. It reminds me, you know, myself, you know, very very <laughs> narrow cock part, right. And so if, if, if the flag is there going to be tough to, to hit that green especially judging the distance uh on extreme downhill i love that hole yeah to quote the cop from deuce bigelow male gigolo it's not small it's thin ben that's how it works that's how it works yeah that's uh that's why we're doing the show for that type of insight um that's what we need to take down the millie and uh, obviously we're off to a real real good start already <laughs> so i'm excited to get into this this course which obviously has some unique holes well, I read an interview with Morikawa from the 2017 Walker Cup, and I think it played 72 yards on one of the days. He's like, it's essentially a pitch shot that you have to land in a three-yard window in order to get it to stick the green. So I'm curious to see how the pros end up playing it. I, I kind of thought, like, in my mind, thinking about it and just seeing the scorecard before really digging into the course, I assumed it would be like the short par three at Pebble Beach, but it's not 
quite the... It seems, Kenny, like you can get into an... If you hit it into the balls area, you're going to be in an awful lot of trouble. Well, yeah, if the pin is in, like, the cock area, you're screwed, right? <laughs> and so, you know, you you got you to, gotta, like, chip it from the balls to the cock. Uh, yeah, and the thing is, like, the way a lot of these a lot of these greens are like even throughout the whole course they have like a couple of runoff areas like in the front and the back and behind the greens and then on the sides you have the bunkers um you know but but before the bunkers like the the rough around the bunkers looks really horrible like you you are praying to be in the sand uh you know if you miss right or left on a lot of these greens um, and, and that one, I mean, you literally have a three, a three, four yard window. You miss right or left. You're in that thickest little rough around the, the, the bunkers or you're in a bunker. Hopefully you're in the bunker because it's not like Oak, Oak Hill where, you know, these bunker shots are fucking impossible and really a stroke. Uh, th these aren't easy, but they're not like they were in the past major. Would you intentionally swing it OB over the fence, Kenny, to get into the backyard of the Playboy Mansion? I did. I, I did see that. I figured Jenna and Book Kepka might be spending uh, a couple nights there. I don't know. It seems like their type of shit. Uh, yeah, it's like right behind. Uh, it's right on the back nine behind one of the holes. So it's in like a, a few hundred yards. I mean, that would be great if I played that. If I was a member there, like I would just play to that hole and then leave and go straight to the Playboy Mansion and do whatever I could. If you want to know more about L.A. Country Club, I did a research show, and Greg Lust joined me on that to break down the buckets of proximity ranges and what his experience playing the course is. Like, he's a real player. He played with some Corn Ferry guys, so he has a very good sense of what types of players are going to be the ones that are going to do well this week at the U.S. Open, at least prototypically. Obviously, anyone who runs a hot putter can do really well here. Ben, how do you approach courses that we just have never seen before, especially in a major championship? Yeah, we, we really only, well, honestly, in Canada, too, when we get rotationals and it's unknown, like, the reality is everyone, I think, works backwards to whoever wins and says, like, that's what we need, and I, I'm not sure that's accurate. What I what I try to do is play the scenario game. It's like, okay, if it plays impossible, who would really benefit? If it plays easier than expected, who would benefit? If it's an iron competition, who would benefit? And then I kind of build uh, what I think are skill set stacks to kind of cover those bases, because I... I don't think we really know with a course like this what we're going to see. Kenny already alluded to some of the weird things that are are like what we're dealing with. And I don't I don't know that we can just hone in and say you have to be around the green specialist to compete. I don't think that's true. I think the one thing that we've seen from U.S. Opens, and it's funny because they're all played at completely different courses as a part of this rotation, but great drivers continue to win. Where, I mean, listen, that's going to be the case at a lot of tournaments, but the U.S. Open in particular just tends to see the guys who not necessarily hit it the farthest, but hit it the best off the tee. Like, you're, you're going to need to be long and don't hit it into the rough every time unless you're Bryson at Wingfoot. Yeah, to like total driving is a stat that at, at courses like this and competitions like this, I'll, I'll definitely incorporate more because, I mean, Fitzy's improved, uh, there's no doubt off the tee and he's shown like you can you can get it done but you you can't be bleeding off the tee severely uh and then when cam smith wins well you know just throw it all out the window but in theory 
uh, that shouldn't be the case. And this is what we see more, Kenny, at difficult courses overall. I've sorted on fantasynational.com, fantasynational.com slash Mayo to get your ownership projections, all the research tools, lineup generators that gets you 20% off. And if you enter the giveaways, which are coming up in a second, and you're already a member at Fantasy National, you can win a free year, an annual membership, take a U.S. Open to U.S. Open. So stay tuned for that in a second or just join the newsletter down in the description. All the information is down in there and it's completely free and has great tidbits. I sort of passed 24 rounds, Kenny, on Fantasy National just by difficult rounds adjusted to par. And the great driver thing kind of holds true here. Here are the best players per round. Scheffler, Hovland, Rory, Xander, Cantlay. Then it's Spieth, Wyndham Clark, Morikawa, then Hatton. I would say that the one thing you see uh, in a lot of these difficult courses where driving is important is the fairway hit percentage is normally low. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, and so guys can bomb it out there. Everyone's missing fairways either way. Uh, And so guys who bomb it out there, you know, they're going to have the advantage of the shorter club in their hands out of the rough. The difference on this course is the fairways are so wide that like, you really have to like miss wildly to miss them. And the thing is, the rough, at least from what I've seen in flyovers and stuff, I, I don't know how they're going to set it up, you know, once the course is really getting getting going this coming up week. Uh, the rough doesn't look like super thick around the fairways, um, outside of, of around the bunkers. Like the, the, the grass around the bunkers, that's some crazy grass. You do not want to be there at all. It's a stroke, maybe a stroke and a half penalty. Um and so, I don't know. I I, I think this event, I, I'm leaning more towards iron play. Uh, I mean, and also you're going to get the length. If this course is as fiery and as firm as people are talking about, where I guess LA had a bunch of rain like the first few months of the year, but the last few months there's hardly been any at all. Uh, and these things are rolling crazy. I mean, it, you know, I think it brings more people into it because guys are going to hit it farther uh, with the roll. Uh, I think this is a second shot course. I, I and I, you know, good drivers of the golf ball are going to be, you know, uh, Hovland, or Kepka, uh, Scheffler. Those are my three guys. Those are guys that probably a lot of people are going to be playing this week. And I don't see any reason to go against that unless you want to go contra- uh, contrarian and they're going to be uh, higher owned. Uh, and I, I think that the second shot's going to be super more important uh, at this place. And again, this is what you're going to see when you go when you have courses you've never seen before. Uh, there's going to be differences of opinion. Uh, and personally, I think that I wouldn't say shorter shorter hitters. I don't know if they can win, but they can be more involved in the DFS process. Uh, but I, you know, I think that the second shot is going to be more important here. I can most definitely see that, and I think that the names that you hit on Scheffler, Brooks, Xander, Cantlay, Ben that they're going to be the, and Rom, of course, too, are going to be the popular picks this week. And I think that everyone's, not necessarily all, everyone is aligned on that, but most people, those are the names that just kind of pop to your mind, whether it be the skill sets that you come in, the form that they come in with, or just the success that they've had at the U.S. Open over the past five years. It all just kind of meshes into one thing. I think we probably need to start at the bottom rather than the top this time around. Yeah, I mean, th- that's the thing. When when you talk about how a course is going to play, it doesn't really matter what metrics you run. For, for the most part, you're going to see the best players in the world populate. I think it's more insightful to see, like, who jumps into these conversations that aren't 
the best of the best. I mean, Scheffler shows up on all the lists because he's Scheffler. But when you see some of these other type of names, you say, okay, maybe maybe it's an emphasis on, on irons. Maybe it's an emphasis on not really spraying wildly because if you do that, you will be punished. But you can get away with some errant drives. And I think for that, you have to dig deeper into the list rather than just look at the top names. Well, I do want to give people a chance to support the show. People are always asking me, hey, Pat, how can I support the Pat Mayo experience? And friends... I have an answer for that. Given one of you $500. We're not splitting up to first, second, or third. Because, you know, 100 bucks is nice. It's a free entry into... Actually, I don't even think there's a, there is a $100 millionaire maker. It's four entries into the millionaire maker on DraftKings this time around. But I'll just give someone 500 bucks. How about that? And you can use it to go spend on a new Nintendo Switch, which I have recently purchased for a flight. And it was awesome because I can just play SNES games the entire time fantastic stuff uh, or you can just enter it on draft you can do whatever the hell you want with the 500 bucks it's yours and the free membership to fantasynational.com and you need to be a member already in order to win that but here's how you get ballots into that draw and this is the most important one the biggest one besides like telling a friend and you know helping us out by you know increasing the popularity of the show 15 ballots a piece for a subscription and audio review on apple Podcasts or spotify or whatever the podcast service of your choice is if you do it on apple sub five star review leave your twitter handle or email in the comment section of that review uh, and then boom you're in the draw you have 15 ballots you can do the same for spotify if you can't leave a review on spotify just rate you can screenshot it to me on twitter at the pme if you've previously done this please go do it again to bump your up to the top of the list if you subscribe to the mayo media network on youtube that's three ballots anytime that you retweet a u.s open tweet or share on facebook or re-instagram or tiktok share i don't know how that works either way uh someone's monitoring that one but uh one ballot per retweet per share whatever it might be and the newsletter down in the description eight ballots if you sub to it completely free plus it has more giveaways inside of it we get 200 new apple podcast reviews i'll increase the amount of money that i'm giving away to the winner or maybe even have a secondary draw more information on that on wednesday kenny you gonna enter the draw i left a review for your show Sure, I didn't know I could win it. I'll put one in. Yeah, I mean, even but, but I'm not going to lie to you. If I draw your name out, you're not going to win. <laughs> All right, there you go. I think it. We could use the help, though. So let's go to the bottom right away. Who are we going to fill out our lineups with this week? And why is it Ryan Fox, Justin Suh, and Minwoo Lee, Ben? Well, yeah, we've all been there. I mean, so the interesting thing, first thing I did when I looked at the pricing i actually went to the bottom and and then you quickly remember this isn't a normal tournament there's got to be 35 guys here that i've legitimately never heard of uh you got ori pereira like there, there are people who who don't really exist so then when you see you're gonna find reasonable names uh a little more up they're not gonna be at flat six for the most part like some of the other majors and when i look you obviously mentioned some of those guys. I think there are there is an element that maybe some of the Euros, they see some of these funky courses, weird conditions. Uh, you know, maybe maybe Thomas Peters, he's sub 7K. Obviously, <laughs> Ryan Fox is playing very good. Henley is right there as well. Uh, he's on my list. So I think it, it, it's a mixed bag down there. Justin Sue, I mean, you guys have seen it. He's really turned the corner. He's figuring it out all different courses. I know he wasn't great at Memorial, but he was in flashes. 
Uh, and it's hard to argue with kind of the form he's coming in with. I can see, Kenny, a lot of people avoiding Justin Sue, uh, mainly because it's been 100% putting. Not 100%, but he just gains four strokes a week on the greens. And if that doesn't happen, he's likely to miss the cut. But I just see the performances that he's been putting up, especially on hard courses. And just the one shot I can't get out of my mind, I think it was Saturday at the PGA Championship when he just hit that insane flop from, like, the gully. And I was like, dude's got stones, man. Like, most pros, like, high-end pros, like, Phil and Tiger are the only two people that I can ever remember trying to pull off a shot like that in a major championship. And Sue's like, nah, no problem. I'll hit, I'll hit it two feet. Don't worry about me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what, fifth at the Honda, sixth at the players, uh, you know, top 20, uh, top 30 at the PGA Championship. The guy, you know... Seems like he's been playing these tough courses against the big boys pretty well. Uh, you know, I mean, coming in uh, as an amateur, I mean, he was up there with what? Morikawa and Hovland and those guys, right, if I'm not mistaken? I mean, that's who, I mean, he was supposed to be in that group. It's just taken him maybe a little bit longer than those two uh, to do what uh, everyone expected. But the guy's talent level is off the charts. Uh, we're going to be seeing him for years. Uh, yeah, I have no problem with him. I mean, you know, other guys in the range, I mean, like Woodland is probably going to be popular down there. Um, again, the low ball fight uh, for him could really work out in a place where you're going to have this much rollout. I mean, some I think, you know, some guys who can hit it low and piercing with the top spin could probably outdrive guys who hit it 320, uh, you know, carry, uh, depending on, you know, if, if these fairways are as firm and as fast um, as they say, you know, Danny McCarthy. Another guy down there, Si Wu, Si Another guy who rates out really well, um, uh, stat-wise for what I'm looking for. Denny's played well uh, in U.S. Opens before. Does well in fast and firm conditions. Uh, there's some guy Kitayama down here. Uh, there's some guys you can play in the low 7K, uh, upper 6K range. But like once you get past like 6,800, it's it's looking rough. What do you do with all of the California splits, Ben? Because normally we're dealing with Kikuya grass and Poa greens, and this course has none of that. It has bent grass greens, uh, Bermuda rough in fairways, and there's yeah no Kikuyas. Barrancas everywhere, as Kenny pointed out. Yeah, Barrancas. A lot of terms that I don't even know what they mean, so I'm not doing too a ditch, yeah. That's with uh, a ditch with crazy vegetation. Okay, that was mm. like when Grio's ball was floating. <laughs> I had to look up. Uh, Congrats on that, by the way. Thank you. It's the first good thing that's happened in a decade. But you know, he you know, whatever. There's a lot of crazy shit that goes on at these courses. I'm not overly weighing it. Do I think it's good? You know, if I'm between a couple guys and one of them really thrives. During the West Coast swing, maybe he's, you know, went to Cal or something. Is that good? I think it is. Uh, I'm not going to say I'm not going to, you know, knock him down for it. Is it the end all be all? No, these guys can play. Uh, they'll be ready to go. And this is a, not a typical course out West. So it's it's tricky because I, I echo what Kenny just said. It falls off a cliff fast. I mean, you're talking about everyday PGA Tour players that we, we play regularly versus a couple hundred dollars less guys that maybe appear in a tournament or two over the year over here it's just it's a big drop off my eyes got led to brent grant as they always do so when i someone i regularly play in my DraftKings lineups who absolutely fucking sucks so you probably don't want to play brent grant he's 6300 bucks rio ishikawa's in this tournament kenny i mean he won a couple months ago in japan i mean 
right? I, if I remember correctly, I mean, I, I, I don't really know what I, I, I know he went through a big dry spell, but it seems like he was coming back a little bit, maybe last year. I, I'm, I'm trying to remember. Uh, but yeah, no, I'm not going to play Rio. <laughs> Probably not. Hey, anytime you can play the Japanese Tiger Woods, I think you need to do it. Yeah. Did, did so he have like, a cool hat? Is that that guy? No, he was like, I mean, he was playing in tournaments when he was like 16 and he was awesome. And it was like, oh man, this guy is the next coming. And he just flamed out. I remember he held a first round lead somewhere. We had a first round leader on him once, uh, like in 2016 when he was making his like third comeback. But he kind of paved the way to like, temper expectations for Hideki because this guy was so hyped and didn't uh, it was a little bit like Ty Tryon in a weird way if people remember him <laughs> vaguely. I, I, I remember vaguely you could you in Tiger Woods I think 2006 or 2003 you could play as Ty Tryon and I don't think he ever played on the PGA Tour <laughs> yeah that's probably the closest I was about to say it's probably the closest he's gotten the I, PGA Tour right I mean, I would take that. I would take being in the Tiger Woods game. That'd be fine by me. Uh, Long Dong, Paul Barjan is down here. So the first guy that skate, there's a few at $6,500 and $6,400 that I actually do think are plausible. So I do want to get your takes on Dylan Wu, Sam Bennett, and Wilco. Because if this, if this comes down to driving and driving distance, if that's an angle you want to take, Ben, Wilco's got to be the guy. So the, a guy like Wilco is great because when you build skill set stacks, he is immediately included in one specific stack and excluded everywhere else. So it's like, okay, I want, it's like Cam Champ. I want like bomber heavy. I don't care about anything else. Obviously, Wilco is going to be your pay down option. Uh, Ross Fisher is here. That's another name I forgot existed. That's a real, bla um, that's a real blast from the past. <laughs> oh yeah. Him and Chris Wood uh, were costing me money. Quite a long time ago, your boy uh, Thirsty Lawrence is here. Thirsty Lawrence is a is a champion of my heart. I don't know if he's going to be a champion of the U.S. Open though. It's tough. I mean, this is this is going to be lineup construction centric to me. Like if I say, you know, I want Scheffler and Rom, and I really believe they can go one two or something like that, I'll open it up down here and may, maybe get to one of these guys. But it's few and far between. You mentioned. Uh, Wilco and, and Sam Bennett might just be good. So that's well, always a, an interesting angle. I remember, I think it what was the one that DJ won, beat Lowry, Kenny. Where was that? I was going to say Oak Hill, but that's not it. You know, mm. Whatever year that was, I played Rom in my lineups. And Rom was an amateur and he was really good. He made the cut uh, and he kind of flamed out on like a Saturday and then kind of rebounded. And I know that Sam Bennett isn't an amateur anymore, but when you go and look at the things that he does, well, dude like can't putt to save his life. But he was top 20 at the Masters you know, two months ago as an amateur. He was playing okay at the Memorial until he just couldn't make a putt anymore. But the driving is not a problem. I do think of all these guys down here, like, would it shock you if he finished inside the top 20? I mean, you know, he, he did it at the Masters. And like you say, he shot 84 on Sunday uh, at Memorial. Prior to that, he was sort of like, you know, I wouldn't say in it, but I think he was probably within the top 25 going into um, going into Sunday. So the guy's got skill, one of the best amateurs uh, out there when he was when he was playing in college. Uh, yeah, that, that seems like a pretty good, uh, guy to go if you're going for someone in like 6,500 
definitely. I, I could see that. Uh, Wilco's recent results on, he's playing on the challenger tour, by the way, at some points in time. So he's been like downgraded. He doesn't have like full status on the DP world tour anymore. So maybe not the best selection, despite the fact that he hits it 800 yards off the tee, but he was T 44 in Germany, missed the cut in Holland in his last two starts. And before that he played in the Sudal open T 41. And then he had two top tens on the African challenger tour. So maybe Sam Bennett's the answer. If you do want to go low with someone. And I think that you said that like Wilco might fit in those bomber stacks. Maybe Sam Bennett's the actual answer to this, Ben. Yeah. I mean, you do want some, you know, it always seems like the mentality, Oh, just make the cut. Make, but you need, if you're really trying to win a tournament with hundreds of thousands of people, you got to get placement points out of these guys. And, and when you look at it, Sam Bennett has proven he's got a little upside. He's the type of guy like Rom. You mentioned that at Oakmont. Uh, Oakmont, that's right. You could, yeah, Oakmont. You can look back and say, "Wow, can you believe that Sam Bennett was mid six k?" I I seriously doubt we're ever going to look back. We might be shocked that Wilco was in the tournament, not that he was six <laughs> k. So Sam Bennett uh, obviously could be a really good player, where he'll never be this price again. The other one that is down in this region, Kenny, is Sam Stevens, who just plays longer courses well and shorter courses really poorly. Like, is that just a logical connection that we can make? Like, hey, it's a long course. Play Sam Stevens. I mean, when you're getting down to this price range, I mean, one or two things that are good for a golfer would probably be all you need to go ahead and roster them. Uh, It's not like they're going to have the full card, the full stat lines uh, that you're looking for. You're looking for one or two things. Uh, and yeah, I mean, the, I was going to bring him up as well. The guy plays these longer courses pretty well. He's been having a decent run the last couple of months. Um, he even, you know, showed up a little bit at Colonial, uh, which is not the longest course in the world. Uh, so yeah, I was definitely looking at him. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Ben, if you're going to play a super stud stack at the top, which two do you think that you would go to? Uh, I think it would be Rom and Cantlay. Why not? And this is a question that we kind of talk ourselves around all of the time, and I picked wrong. I've, I chose poorly. I got my face melted like it was Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade at the Masters when I took Scheffler over Rom. And at the PGA Championship, I took Rom over Scheffler. I think the answer might be, Kenny, to just play both of those guys. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do that with the roster construction that I like because I'm playing Scheffler. Uh, he's going to be I, the guy 
okay, uh, the thing about him is he can go ahead and miss all his putts. But when you think about it, I mean, like U.S. Open conditions, uh, you know, high stimp, tougher putting, you know, maybe if he putts the way he's doing, everyone can sort of just fall back a little bit, you know, because of how difficult the putting situation is normally at the U.S. Open. Uh, so you know, that's something I'm, I'm hoping for for him because, I mean, I'm contemplating betting him at 7-1. to one. Uh, I'm hoping for a boost, maybe like an 8 or 9-1 to one or something by the end of the week. Uh, but I'm, I already have a Hovland bet from after the PJ Championship. I think I got like 22-1 to one, uh, or something like that. Uh, I have a Hatton bet that's like 40-1, to one, uh, 50-1, to one, something like that. And then I think I just might just end it with Shefflin just call the day. Uh, you know, uh, I'm, I'm thinking that if I had to pick two, I like Scheffler and Kepka or uh, Scheffler and Hovland. Uh, those are the two studs that I would play up top, and I think a lot will too. So when we get up to that point, I'm sure there's going to be other options. And, you know, that w- when it comes down to ownership and stuff like that, that might be a smarter play when it comes to GPP, but I'm not that smart. So, How many do you think start Scheffler wrong, Ben? Because it's not I, – I, you would think that two guys over $11,000, it would be impossible – to make lineups, but I just made one pretty easily and I, I don't hate it. It's definitely possible. Um, the, the trickier part is when, when you use both of them, the third guy, there's a couple guys that are going to be like, I'd say over 50% owned in Scheffler Rom lineups, like of the four other spots, because there's mm-hmm. just not that many options oh. within that 4v4. Okay, I, I disagree, because I think it depends on okay. the way that you want to do it. If you start with Scheffler and Rom, you have 68.75 left. So mm-hmm. we, we just brought up two guys that I think that, I don't know if we love, but I can see myself using both Sam Bennett and Sam Stevens. So let's put in Sam Bennett and Sam Stevens. And now, all of a sudden, we have $7,200 left per player, which means now you're in this area, which is going to be common, I think, of the lower sevens based on, you know, almost every lineup construction every week just ends up in this level. And there's always decent guys. We've already brought up a few of them. Fox, Justin Sir, uh, Sergio, I like a lot, actually, at $7,000. <laughs> I think that Luke List is going to be someone that's going to be on people's minds. Minwoo, Carson Young, Austin Ekro, Like, they're all kind of here. But if you go Patrick Rogers at $6,900, who tends to play well in California, is on a decent run right now. He's just generally popular within, like, the, the Twitter golf community. But he's played decently at U.S. Opens in the past. I like him at California courses. Now, all of a sudden, you're back up to $7,500. And you have a choice between Fowler, Wyndham Clark, Patrick Reed, and Adam Scott if you want to. Or, like, Taylor Moore and Answer are there as well. But, I mean, I think I like... Adam, I mean, Wyndham Clark is the obvious answer to this question, but I'd probably just be a jabroni and play Adam Scott anyway. I just don't, I I think that there's enough unique combinations of all these guys, Ben, because I think that if you just play Patrick Rogers instead of Bennett and Stevens, you're just lingering around in that upper 6K range. You can play like Moronk and Lucas Herbert if you really wanted to. So I I think it's, if you are able or comfortable getting to, a couple of the mid sixes, it opens it up. If you don't, you basically are going to have to play Min Woo Lee, probably Si Woo, and, and that type of thing. It's an interesting build because very rarely do you see, you're talking about a $3,600 gap between your second and third player. That's, I mean, dozens and dozens and dozens of names that you are skipping. So it'll be a weird build if you do it like that. 
it's just going to be a matter of are you comfortable or are people comfortable getting two 6Ks? Because that's what it's going to take at least. Are you comfortable doing that, Kenny? Or do you think that you would have a stop point of maybe 6900 maybe $7,000? No, I mean, I could see myself doing that. Like I said, Sam Stevens seems to make sense. And the thing about it is like that low 7K range, there's a lot of options. I don't think there's going to be like one guy that's obviously going to be so much more owned uh, than others in that range. And you see that sometimes, where there's like an, especially in majors. Uh, usually with the soft pricing and stuff like that, there's like one guy like, whoa, what's he doing at that price? You know, and he becomes like the highest owned in that lower 7K range. I don't see that. I do love Sergio, like we talked about. I think it was really impressive for him to go and qualify uh, for this. You know, he has a chip on his shoulder, uh, you know, and he's not like, he's not dead with talent. The guy can still go out and ball strike the course to death. Uh, and Min Woo's great. I think that driving iron might actually be really, really nice um, on a course like this if it's going to be that fiery uh, of a fairway. And the way he likes to shape shots, I mean, like we talked about, like the slope of the greens are going right to left. Um, But the thing is then you have to sort of hit it in the the, the left side or the the right side so you can get a better angle. So you have to sort of shape your ball against the – the way of slope of the green, that's, that's going to be like a, a pretty popular play, uh, I think, the way if guys are comfortable shaping their shots uh, to try to go against uh, the slope of the green to give yourself a better angle onto a lot of these holes. And he has that talent. So, I mean, I, there's going to be guys that you that are going to – that you're going to see in this lower 7K range that you like that aren't going to be 12 15% known, that are going to be you know around that 10 or less. And, you know, you should be fine with that. I really like Mito Pereira as well, Ben. And Kenny had pointed out earlier, like people are going to go to Woodland because of the ball flight that he has. Maybe it's able to run out a little bit more. I think that Neiman also just falls firmly in that. And based on what Kenny just said about the different contours of the green, there's going to be a lot of sloping approach shots where the ball is above your feet, below your feet, just because there's so many hills and runoff areas at LA Country Club that... I do think that Augusta National might be a place to look at of who hits irons well there in the very least. Yeah, I think there's a couple of things with Mito. And honestly, in my mind, PGA championships in recent years have kind of shrunk the gap between what we see at USO. Like I've heard that uttered at a couple of PGAs recently of like US Open conditions and Mito has really represented himself well even this year. So I get it. It is a pretty crowded range. I mean, you've got all sorts of players there. Jameis is there. Answer, who for some insane reason I, I keep thinking is a good idea and just doesn't work, but he's at 74. So if if you can find, and that's the circle back, I think that's the difference between, not that you can't do it, but Scheffler and Rom versus Scheffler and Hovland is so different in terms of what your other four look like. Like that extra $1,000 makes a huge difference for this for what you get in your last four spots. If you start Scheffler and Hovland, Kenny, you're now left with 7150 for all of your spots. And it really does make a significant difference to the back end of your lineup. Because then you can go Sergio, Minwoo, now we have 73, we can go Mito, and now we're back up to 7400. This is a bit of a dead zone, weirdly enough, at least in my mind. Basically from the 74 and 7300 dollars players outside of Siwoo don't make a ton of sense to me. 
of why they're there and above these other guys at 72, 71, and 7,000. Yeah, I mean, what, Nick Taylor's 73, he's above, like, you know, Victor Perez, Siwoo, Victor, I mean, he, he had a really good PGA championship to Ben's point about the PGA catching up. I also think it's the USGA sort of easing back uh, a little as well. I think we've only had, like, one or two over par winners in the last, like, eight, nine years. Uh, you know, it's always been in, like, that sort of six under range uh, that we've seen. They sort of, like, you know, I guess players are bitching too much about it. And, you know, Zach Johnson and Phil and whatever, uh, they were bitching too much. You don't see that as much now. Uh, so you're right. They sort of have come together a little bit closer um, when it comes to difficulty. Uh, and so I think you could definitely look at the PGA uh, to see uh, how golfers have done it. And if you look at like the previous major winners, um, a lot of the times, especially uh, before the U.S. Open, the previous major they played, they fared well, like top 10, top 15. Uh, you've seen that in a lot of the winners in the last decade of the U.S. Open. Now, some of that was the Masters beforehand, but still, um, you know, you've seen that happen. Uh, and so you, you can look back at the PGA, just, just this past PGA Championship, and maybe you can get a, a good idea of who you like and who you want to play. I mean, uh, Victor Perez is one guy that I saw uh, sort of caught my eye who played well at the PGA Championship, who I think I can go back to again. Between Brooks, Rom, Rory, and Scheffler, Ben, how do you think that the ownership distribution is going to go for those guys? So some of it, I think, is a little dependent if Rory closes in Canada. But Let's hope not. Rory's 9-9. Uh, nine, nine, nine. He's behind Cantlay. Yeah. <laughs> I know. It's it's kind of crazy. And this is one where I think it, it almost balances out in terms of it's inversely correlated to the price, which is the best for balance. Like, Rory would be the one I think people are most concerned of, but it's the most shocking tag to see him sub 10K. Scheffler is playing just out of his mind, but he's the most expensive. So I wouldn't be stunned. Brooks just won. I wouldn't be stunned to see more flat ownership where there isn't a guy that's like 35 and then one guy that's like 12. I think you could really see these guys all within uh, a pretty healthy small range of where where it falls and and for that it's it's interesting because you can kind of choose best available and not play the ownership game up top this week well it, okay let, let's play the ownership game above nine thousand dollars who are the nine thousand dollar and above players kenny that if we say that there's not going to be one spike player in terms of ownership who are going to be the guys in that range that literally no one wants besides morikawa oh that that <laughs> no one wants I don't know. It's tough, man. I mean, Cantley at 10-3 just bugs me that he's above Rory, but I think people will still play him. I don't know. I think Ben's right. I think you're going to see a lot of like, lot, lot of like similar type ownership when it comes to this 9K range. Maybe Spieth, but I like Spieth this week. Um, I think, Ben, I, that you're going to see depressed ownership on Morikawa because of this injury that we know nothing about. Oh, the, definitely. The, the back spasms, which... I think that he's going to be fine. And if this is what Kenny said, like a pure iron course, there's like three, there's there's like four guys with actual experience at this course in a competitive setting. And he's one of them. And he was by far the best guy at that tournament in the Walker cup. Although the course has changed a little bit. He was four and oh, I don't think that people will play cam Smith because the driving narrative is going to be beat over the head. But if Kenny's right, Ben, and 
the fairways are wide enough that, I mean, he does kind of like shank it off the tee, uh, get himself into a lot of trouble. But if he can just find himself to be like average off the tee and not get himself into a ton of trouble, as I kind of made the case for him when I bet him at the PGA Championship, once you get him off the tee, he's probably the best player in the world. Yeah, yeah, sadly. Um, and I get it. I, I Cam Smith just is someone that, I should do more of this where you, you just kind of have to say he's going to figure it out because he goes to courses all, all, all the time where there's an emphasis on driving and he he somehow uh, masks that with whatever he's able to do. And I, I think when I look at this range, Morikawa to me is in a separate category. People are actually going to be scared to play him. The only other guys I would say is just the bottom of the range. It's Spieth, Fitzy and Cam Smith are guys that people aren't you know hating on, but I don't think that they... I mean, the rest of the range, how can you say anything about Homa, Xander, Rory, Hovland, Cantley, Brooks? Like, people are going to play those guys. I think the bottom of the nines, if you pick three of them in one lineup, that's the type of build I think is super interesting. So I just built one of these, and I don't think that Homa's going to get the ownership that you think that he has. And maybe the narrative prevails that he holds the course record. All he does is win in California, which is the reason that I bet him to win this tournament after Torrey Pines at 50-1. to but his recent form just is non-existent, right? There's pieces of it, but it across the board, it was so good for three months, and then it went back to being what regular Max Homa does. And maybe this is the time that he can get around, but there is the narrative. What, what, what do you think is more impactful on people's decision-making, Kenny? The California narrative, the course record narrative, or the fact that Max Homa has never legitimately contended in a major, ever? Yeah, I mean, I guess the one thing you're going to be looking at is if he's going to contend at a major, this is as good as an opportunity as he has had uh, probably in his career. I mean, you know, he's had a couple of top tens in his last three events. So it's not like the form is like not there. Um, and so, I, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe he will be in that because, I mean, just, just the name value of the other guys are so much more established, you know, especially when it comes to majors that it could be lower. Um, you know, he interests me. I, he's probably borderline for me uh, at this. But if I see him, you know, way lower than everyone else around him, then maybe maybe he he is a click. If I start Homa, Spieth, Cam Smith, Ben, how yep. big of a disadvantage am I at by not having one of those 10K plus guys? Uh, you know, I mean, it's always a disadvantage. You You just have to accept when you build like that. I'm flying very close to the sun and, and there's a real, you, you combine the win equities of those guys uh, up top, you're taking a big risk and you just say, okay, if they win, I, I move on with my life. But if they don't win, if they do not win, I have such a distinct advantage because I have win equity up and down my lineup. I realistically might have three or four guys that I can say they can go and win the entire tournament. And when you build like that, like when you build Scheffler and Rom combos, you have two guys that can win the tournament and four guys that you hope play well, uh, realistically. In a lineup like this, you might have four or five guys that could actually win the tournament, and that's a really, really interesting type of build. So what is the lowest starting salary player that you think would be okay to start with? Because I've just started a lineup with Spieth, and I really like the lineup. It's exactly the type of guys that I want to get in, and maybe there is too much win equity left up at the top. Uh, but it goes Spieth, Cam Smith, Hideki, Neiman, Fleetwood, Bradley. Yeah, and again, that that just shows 
like where you're landing at the bottom uh, is super, sim super, super impactful. You're landing in the mid sevens to close the lineup. And that, like for me, I have the same type of build on my screen. It just starts with Fitzy. Uh, and you can pepper the upper eights, no problem, and still land with Ricky or Scott or Keegan as your last man in. How do you feel about those builds, Kenny? Because I, there's always a want in majors because of what's generally softer pricing to build these super balanced lineups. Although when we reverse engineer who the winner is, it never really is the super balanced lineup and because we keep seeing these very top-end players win. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's a tough decision. I mean, the thing is, your win equity is going to be a lot lower with the guys on the top of your lineup uh, compared if you have those guys. I wouldn't say a lot. Let, let me rephrase that. There's a little bit of a difference in win equity because, I mean, these guys in the, in the lower 9K range are super talented. If they won, no one would be shocked, right? But the thing is, on the bottom half of your lineup, if you're in the if you're ending in the mid-sevens, uh, mid to upper sevens, the win equity there is way bigger than the guys in the 6K range, like like exponentially, like more, uh, you know, win equity with those mid 7K guys than any guy that you're going to go uh, in the 6K range. So it's sort of like you got to play it on both sides and see, figure out how you want to go about it. I mean, do you think that the win equity is more valuable up top with those 10K guys or with your own personal lineup with those mid 7K and those uh, upper 7K guys? Is that the difference you need to make those balanced lineups because their win equity is so much higher than the guys in the 6K range? It's just a personal decision that you're going to have to make. Uh, now, you like you said, it's tough because, like, the big boys have won, um, you know? So, but it wouldn't be shocking if Camp Smith won. It wouldn't be shocking if Homo won or Spieth won, you know? So, you just got to go with your gut and how you feel about it. So if this is the case, and we think that the lower 8K, like you guys think that home is going to be largely highly owned, or he's a part of that flat of everyone, him and above, and then it's a drop-off once you get to the Cam Smiths and the Spieth and the Fitzpatricks, who is it then in the 8K range, Ben, that you think is going to be chalk? Because the one thing that I've noticed about all of the lineups that we've built, whether it's the three lower 9K guys or the double studs up top, you just don't get to the 8s. Usually does create a dead range. And listen, the, the fields are so good these days. Like the even the 8K range, what Kenny was just talking about, it's a little less, but like these guys got majors like Hideki and Lowry. And I know JT is broken right now. Like if one of them popped up and won, maybe it's a little surprising, but it's not like, where did he come from? These guys can absolutely play. So you've got Sunjay and DJ and those guys. I, I would really like to get exposure to this range. I think that Hideki is probably checking most of the boxes. He's got the form. He can handle these conditions, things like that. Lowry's been frustrating with his putter, but same thing. And then it would seem like people at this point are probably a little worried about Justin Thomas, and that's probably rightfully so, but maybe he comes in really low-owned. And if he does, I will roll the dice on JT again. Will you roll the dice on JT again, Kenny? No. No, I, I'd rather I'd rather play Hatton. I'd rather play Decky. Um, I really like DJ a lot this week. Um, I watched all of DJ's. It was DJ Xander and Hatton um, for the featured group at the PJ Championship. And in that first round, you saw like old school, like DJ, like you know, like just incredible ball striking. Like he was really into it, like muttering under his breath. Uh, like you know when he when he when he hit a poor shot like 
he was really into it. And he played exceptionally well. Uh, you know, the last the last three rounds he did not. But you know, throw another good round like he did in, in two good rounds instead of you know what fifty fifth, he could finish in the top twenty five. Uh, throw two extra good rounds on it, he could win the event. Uh, and I don't think that's out of the question uh, for DJ. I mean, even watching him on live, I have never seen that type of focus and that type of determination he had since he's been at live uh, outside of that first round uh, of the PJ championship. And if he can sort of you know, expand on that for another round or another round or two, he could be a really good DFS play. I don't think he can win, but at $8,300, uh, that that seems like the upside is there for a top five. If he can somehow just just get you know if he gets one one more good round like he did uh, at the PGA Championship, that's top twenty five. Two more, that's top five. Yeah, I, I'm. I mean, ma- imagine just building your lineups: Morikawa, Justin Thomas, DJ, Ben, and just take whoever you want after that. Yep, hey, you've already leveraged. You can literally take whoever you want there, and you know it's not. Those are. It's just amazing, and I get it. I get that. Recent form dictates a lot of this, and it should in some regards, but it's like we're a couple of different things removed. Morikawa doesn't get back spasms, goes low. We're talking about him as chalk here. Like we are legitimately talking about him as chalk. It's amazing how a couple of things, a couple of variables change the whole landscape of how people congest this tournament. Out of those three, I think I'm probably only going to play Morikawa. I feel a lot better playing him and him playing poorly because of the back or him just you know playing poorly and putting himself out of the tournament that's always a factor uh, when it comes to Morikawa but give me an LA course give me a California course at a US Open where the greens run fast which usually mitigates some of the bad putting that we see from a lot of players and you know he's going to be in the fairway we still know that the irons are elite I I can feel okay with myself going down with the Morikawa ship if he sinks me I will not feel good about myself, Ben, if I go with DJ or Justin Thomas and be like, oh, they played poorly again. Should have seen that coming. Yeah, that's where there there are definite if statements. Like, Justin Thomas will make the pool if the field allows that, where I know he can't torpedo everything because I can say, I'm going to take 15% of him and get a nice leverage spot. And if he sucks, I have 85% of my lineups unharmed. Whereas... I think some of these other guys, there's a bigger commitment. And I, I feel a lot better about DJ than I do JT, even though I said I have interest in, in Justin Thomas, just because I think that DJ is a lot closer. Um, and the ownership might reflect that. So you, you have different opportunities or priorities in the range for different things. If I say I've I've leveraged, I want my safest pick, it's Decky. There's no doubt for me he's the guy that checks the most boxes. But not every lineup is looking for that. Maybe you want to have a, a sneaky guy in the 8K range. I was looking at last year's leaderboard for the U.S. Open, Kenny. Both Denny McCarthy, Keegan, and Adam Hadwin were real players in that event. Yeah, I know Denny's played okay at U.S. Opens, like in fast, firm conditions, and he's just coming off, you know, he probably should have won uh, the Memorial, which is, you know, another, I wouldn't say a major, it's a major-esque type venue, tough, hard, especially with the changes that Jack made uh, a couple of years ago. I mean, you're looking at single-digit under par winning that event. Uh, basically for the last few years. So, uh, yeah, it's, it, it, I, and his, his iron game, his approach game, like the stuff outside the putting has improved, uh, this season. Uh, he's been a more consistent golfer. I do like him, uh, down there. What is he like 7,200? It makes a lot of sense. 
Yeah, he, he's a part of that same range of all of the guys that we mentioned before, and he has been just bound to be overlooked there. Yeah, because, again, it's a crowded range. Uh, the Memorial showed, and he even mentioned after that tournament, you know, that he likes that type of golf. I think it, it does suit his game. So there's always an element of that. Like, you know, you see, not that I'm saying go to him, but like Mackenzie Hughes, I feel like randomly pops up on these type of leaderboards where you're just like, how did that guy do that? But they have such a different skill set where, you know, at US Opens, you have so many awkward, like I have 40 yards for birdie <laughs> and they're really good at kind of being able to handle that. I mean, Cam Smith obviously would just putt from that range, but for the rest of the players, you know, you, you get it there, you hit it to 10 feet. These guys can save par a lot like that. And it goes a long way when you're, when you're playing this type of golf. Yeah, Nick Hardy was another one that I was thinking about. He got the win at the team event, but he had performed pretty admirably at the U.S. Open last year. And I do think that there is something, Kenny, to U.S. Open history, despite it being at different courses. Well, because of the way it's set up. Uh, you know, it's set up just difficult and long, usually. Now, uh, with usually higher rough, now this is a little bit different, uh, because, I mean, from what I've seen in the flyovers and stuff, the rough doesn't look that tall except for around the bunkers and to the left and right side of the greens where there is bunkering um so i i don't know i don't know how they're going to set it up will they raise that rough i mean I think they keep it down because it makes it more if they keep the rough down and guys miss the fairway on like on a certain side where it's sloped and there's a veranka over here you know it, that if it's thick rough you sort of those things are out of play and, you know, I think I would think the USGA wants guys to, you know, have chances to hit it out of there if they make a mistake. Uh, and, you know, keeping the rough low so it can scoot through the rough uh, into these barrancas and, and have these impossible shots. Because, I mean, they say they're up, they're, they're, they, they, they upkeep them, but I mean, it's just like little patches of bushes and sand and nastiness like all over. And, you know, you, I know the USGA wants to see golfers play out of that. So my guess is they would keep the rough low uh, in the fairway so they can get in that situation. And I totally forgot the whole process of what we were talking about <laughs> while I was talking about this, because that's how my memory goes. What, what was the point of this conversation, Pat? I think that doesn't really matter at this point. Okay, good. I, I want right. <laughs> to circle back to the 8Ks, though, Ben. I want, to, I want you to give me some yes or no statements on these guys. Hatton. Yes. Kenny? Yes. Now, Ben, ownership dependent, but I hope to say yes. Like he, he's one of my favorite players, but he just hasn't been playing great since his win. So no. So Thomas, we talked about. I think that we're all in line that we all like Hideki, and I don't think that we're going. Hideki Ben is he the highest eight K guy owned? Unless Hatton, I think he has to be. In, in, yeah. Even if Hatton wins in Canada, I think that he's too close to those other ranges. Uh, where well, I can get three hundred more dollars and get Spieth or something like that. That I think that people would still do that. Agree. Sam Burns. No. I don't no. think I, I don't think I can get there either. How about Cam Young, Kenny? No. Ben, he should be really good. He should be, but I. My Cam Young slander is going through the roof, and it's not. I don't even mean to. I just. Cam Young is. He's close. Not saying he's Wilco, but he does one thing exceptionally well, and the rest of his game right now is 
pretty broken. Uh, so I worry about him. I worry about him when it's not just you can overpower the course. Maybe you can here. But if it's a second shot course and you're putting strain on other parts of the game, I don't think he's an 8K player. The problem is, do you think that he'll have like residual ownership because people have bets on him to win this from six months ago or whatever it may be, and people do inherently like playing him on DraftKings, and he has played pretty well at hard courses. He's played well at Riviera, same designer in California, Kenny, that maybe we do see him be higher owned than maybe is justified? I don't know, man. He's burned people a lot recently. When you burn people repeatedly like week in and week out for like a month stretch, It'll sort of drive your ownership down. I, I don't know. I don't think he's going to be very popular. Okay. That's interesting to see. Who else is here? We talked about Dustin. Shane Lowry, I think, will be... I, Shane Lowry, I think, may have the have had the same ownership for the past 20 majors, man. He's like 12% every time. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what's going to happen, and it, he seems solid. Like, you got a couple good putts, he'll be fine. He's obviously built for this type of golf. Uh, seem, seems very, very appropriately priced and owned. Are you surprised he's more than Fleetwood, Kenny? I mean, he's he's a major champion, and the ball striking has been really, really good. I know Fleetwood's had a nice little run, but I mean, he, what he finished like third or second a couple weeks ago. Um, I don't know. I I, I think both those guys are going to be sort of similar. Uh, I don't see too much difference, but I would pick Lowry over him just because he's proven. Yeah, I mean, I think I like Tommy better this time around. Just I, I like him in these conditions, although it really hasn't proven itself out at the U.S. Open over the past few years. That's kind of where he made his bones when he came onto the scene, that these difficult condition U.S. Opens are really where he's going to thrive because overall his tee to green game is really strong. I mean, it, basically, when you look at looked at his numbers from like the 2017-2018 range, it's sort of like the 50% version of what Scheffler is currently doing, that he's just gaining everywhere besides putting. And if you just get a decent putting week, all of a sudden you're going to be good. And his game is starting to turn back into that again, uh, essentially before, what was it, the Charles Schwab when he missed the cut, just gaining across the board every single time. We're kind of seeing the same thing in Canada this week as well. And he's a very fair price. I guess it comes down to... If you don't think that either guy is going to win, Ben, I guess Lowry would be the better play because, you know, what's the difference anyway? We know that his ball striking is going to be up there, where if you just are resigned to the fact that Tommy is never going to win, things can go wrong very quickly for him, it would seem. Yeah, and they do at times, but too, I mean, I've played a lot of Fleetwood this year, and as frustrating as it is that he never cashes your outright tickets... He does a lot of good for you uh, in DFS. You know, these 15th place finishes, they add up over time and he's gaining strokes putting lately. So I think he's going to be a pretty common mid-range play, cash viable. Uh, as as frustrating as he is, Fleetwood does make a lot of sense. The last two in this range, Kenny, are Sungjae and Jason Day, who I just have no feel for. Yeah, I mean, Sungjae, uh, I mean, he's been sort of up and down. I mean, and right now, He's sort of on his downturn. I know he had that nice little couple of top tens, uh, you know, about a month and a half ago. But since then, his, his game seems like it's been a little bit of a struggle. Uh, but you know, at that price, it's interesting. And he's Korean, so you know, I sort of always have to take a second look at my guys. Uh, but I don't. I, him and Tom Kim, I don't think I'm in. Jason Day, Ben, miscut, miscut, miscut. Win or his last four starts. Yeah, sounds about right. Um, I really, I, you know, I don't have a strong take. 
his stats are just like he obviously when you win everything looks good his irons were the catalyst and for his miscuts the irons were the catalyst the wrong way so i don't i don't know what to really do there he is someone i i will say at times i do worry about his drive his driving's been good but when he sprays it he sprays it to where you're going to be in whatever contraptions Penny's been talking about with you're in sand and, and bushes and rankas or whatever the hell they're called. I worry that they could work in and out of serious trouble at this course if he's not precise. Yeah, I mean, he might hit it past the Baranka into the outer world and end up fighting Baraka to get his ball back. And, you know, yes. as a fan of the original Mortal Kombat series, you don't want to do that. Who was he? He was the guy, the guy with, the, with knives, the knives on his hands. Knives on his hands, yeah. That seems bad, yeah. Don't want to go there. Yeah, Jason Day has vertigo anyway, so he's already at a big disadvantage when it comes to fighting Baraka. You probably don't want to pick him on the player's screen uh, if you're playing one of these retro. I can do that, too. I think Mortal Kombat 2 is on the Nintendo Switch. I'm a big fan of the Nintendo Switch, as you can kind of probably tell at this point. I can play these old-school Zelda games. It's fantastic news. Upper sevens is where I want to end because I think we've touched on every range so far. And maybe we'll circle back to the top as it goes along. Reminder to everyone, too, play in the DraftKings Listeners League. It's down in the description. Over $100,000 of rake-free guaranteed money. Three max entry, $15 to play, no rake. It's better than playing in the Millionaire Maker. Now, that's not just my opinion. That's just objective fact. So get in there. Let's fill it up so we can run it back again for the Open Championship. All right? Fleetwood, Tom, Kim, Connors, Neiman, Rose, Bryson, Keegan, Thigala, Fowler, Windy C, Adam Scott, Patrick Reed, Ben. This is a loaded range, and it feels, I feel far, and this is going to be the issue, I feel far more comfortable with like 90% of these guys than I do with anyone in the 8Ks. It is somewhat interchangeable pricing there, and Again, that's where the ownership game will come into play. Does everyone say, you know, give me Justin Rose. Like, give me that guy. He's just as good as these upper AK guys. I think that's possible. Um, Connors, obviously, playing really well. Neiman, I think, sets up good. I like those three. A guy like Thigala is, is the mystery man. I don't know what to do with him. He's got some Justin Sue in him where he rolls it crazy. But he's not that price like he's getting the premium tags in some of these fields for him so he's the one i'm struggling the most him and bryson if you guys got ideas on bryson let me know because i have zero idea what to do with him i i think you either commit wholeheartedly or just use zero percent and i don't know which way yeah i'm in i'm in on bryson i mean throw okay. three three straight top tens uh one in the major uh i mean he looks like he's thin bryson now i don't know i mean He's still pounding it out there at this price. I mean, uh, the upside's obviously there at 7,600. It seems like a very, very reasonable price. And I do love Rose. I think I already have Rose locked in my cast lineup uh, as of now, uh, you know, just because his iron game has been really, really good here recently. You know, he's good around the greens. Uh, he has the experience at a U.S. Open. I mean, he's won one uh, in the past. So, yeah. Uh, I think those are two. I think Rose would probably be the most popular too. So using him in cash, I think limits um, the ownership problem when you go with GPPs. But uh, uh, I think he's he's the best guy in that range, in my opinion. You think that Rose will end up being more popular than Fleetwood? I think so. I do. Interesting. Okay, then here are the players over the past five years who have the most total strokes gained at. The U.S. Open. 
Xander is a number one DJ at number two. DJ hasn't finished worse than T35 in any of these. Xander hasn't finished worse than T14 in any of his five starts with four top tens. As a reminder, Rory, Rom, Brooks, Hideki, Fitzpatrick, Morikawa, Bryson, Gary Woodland, and the last guy in this range, one spot above Scotty Scheffler, Ben, Patrick Reed. Yeah, Patrick Reed, the lost, you know, he gets lost in these fields, kind of on the Cam Smith train of like, he's not going to do it typical. It's going to look a little ugly. It's irons are messed up at times. And then he he masks it with around the green. But so look, look at the results. I mean, he, he doesn't quiet. Oh, fourth at the Masters, top 20 at the PGA. Patrick Reed, say what you want about him. And you can say plenty. He knows his game well, and he knows how to handle this type of stuff. Uh, so I, I think you have to give him a serious look at 7,500 and he's proven he can make the difference in, in large field tournaments. It's so weird. Cause every time, cause I, I generally, I'm I, full disclosure. I'm playing a ton of Patrick Reed this week, but every time that you use Patrick Reed on DraftKings, Kenny, he, the first four holes, he's three over par. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I mean, like, like, like Ben said, he finds a way. And the thing is like, yeah, you could start poorly, but as you catch up, it, you, you, we've seen it. We saw it with Hatton. I mean, that's why I'm, I'm sort of, I like Hatton a lot. You saw it at uh, the PGA Championship where you finished what seven over after the first round, finished at one, one over for the tournament in the top twenty. Uh, that's sort of what I think that Patrick Reed can do as well. I, I'm in on him. Uh, just looking at it, I have him in my cash lineup, uh, my initial cash lineup already as well. Uh, just looking back at Torrey Pines, not that I think it's like a perfect crossover because it's not. Uh, and some of the guys that popped up there from this range and below. Thigala was fourth. Keegan was second. Obviously, Max Homa ended up winning. Taylor Moore was 11th. Sam Stevens was 13th. Who else? Rosen's inside the top 20. I don't think Brendan Steele got on this. Justin Sue was actually 20th place. Siwoo was 20th place. Did Ad- Adam Shank didn't get into this tournament, did he? I don't, I don't think that he did. I I don't think he did. That's too bad because I would have loved to play him here. How come? How come Grio didn't get in? That, that I, doesn't count. I, I guess not. <laughs> well, you don't automatically get a place in the U.S. Open just because you win. I think that's only the Masters and the players and the Tournament of Champions. But I I would have thought that he was high enough in the world after winning to do that. Apparently, they had to make room for. Neon Dion Germa shoes. Okay. There are some sure. good. Do you have a favorite name from the bottom of this bottom of this pricing? Like Preston Summerhays is pretty good. Uh isn't he like uh Phenom's coach? I thought that was Daniel Summerhays. Oh, well, that's okay, his kid, okay, isn't okay, it? okay. <laughs> One of my favorite throwbacks to like eight years ago, because he was like sixty one hundred dollars. In perpetuity, the one year that he had his tour card was Andrew Spavoda. That's a guy. He's in this field? Oh, yeah. He qualified. Case of the Spoves does. Yeah, we were doing this show in like 2014. Let's see. Yeah, he was second at the Zurich Classic one year. Look at him. Sixth at St. Jude in 2014. I mean, this guy's as good as Jason Bone was. Christian Cavaliere. Isn't that... That's Jay Cutler's wife, Jay, ex-wife. Jay Cutler's wife is <laughs> possibly okay. We got Mister McLean. 
down there. I'm really hoping he's bald. Bald with an earring? <laughs> with a hoop earring? Yeah, uh, you know, um, that's what I'm hoping with him. I do like There's Mate- another Pereira. Yeah, Corey. Corey with an hmm. E, Pereira. Oh, Wendy we Ding. Got, uh, I-, I really hope that Wendy Ding is like in contention. That's a fantastic <laughs> name. We got Dion Jermishus. Yeah, that guy. That, that, that's one. Oh, Troy McClure Messier? He's in the, oh, that guy that everyone played at the Masters is in this tournament. Uh, Sergeant Gordon, the guy who gained like yeah. 11 strokes <laughs> off the tee in two rounds and lost 11 everywhere else. Yeah, he was one under through one and then 13 under or over through four. Uh, yeah. Oof. You got Carl Phillips. Carl Phillips? Not not even Phillips, yep. but Phillips? I mean, I'm just butchering these poor guys' names, but that's what... If if you told me to pronounce that, I'd say Carl Phillips. Uh, past four starts Ooh. in the collegiate circuit. Postmasters. Yeah, Sergeant Gordon. Gordon Sergeant won his first event after the Masters, by the way. Uh, then he was fifth, seventh, and 40th. I mean, if this is a pure driving course, why not? I mean... At least his price is unique. Like, that's the one thing I can say. If you play him, you could get a permutation that you can't get anywhere else. He's going to be... He better have strokes gain Barenka, though, or whatever that Mortal Kombat guy is, because he's going to be driving it all over the place. There's yeah. a guy from Thailand named Gun. Oh. His first name is Gun. That's that's legit. Gun. Gun Chorenkel. Oh, watch out for your ankles with the old gun mm-hmm. ankle. Mm-hmm. Frankie Cappen. In the Olympics. Frankie Cappen. He played in the Olympics? I mean, that's what it says. Isn't that? what? Well, yeah. Oh, Jesse Schultz. I thought it was Jesse Smollett, and he took up golf. But uh, I think he might still be in prison. I don't know. I don't know what happened to him. Oh, Roman Lagascu. Okay, last one before we get I out. I always like that name. We're, we're always just naming names here at one point. Matt Kuchar, having a good year. And he's just going to hit fairways. He's going to putt and chip well. The irons will be fine. I don't think he's going to get you a win. But if if you looked up on the leaderboard and, like, the random short hitter dude that's up there is just randomly Matt Kuchar, I wouldn't be super stunned, Ben. More than reasonable. We, at some point in the show, mentioned, like, oh, Hadwin appeared. And some of those got Matt Kuchar's in that bucket of just, like, he could come in – 21st or 17th and no one would bat an eye he just kind of knows his game knows his limitations and and he could be fine here so i actually probably will look to him sub seven a little yeah he had a bad week driving there he's having a bad week driving the ball at the canadian open currently but the rest of his game seems to be in form post a disaster at memorial do you like him at all kenny i mean didn't he win didn't he like top five at genesis isn't that another la course is that another? Is that Riviera that they yeah. play Genesis? That's, I, yeah. yeah, that's right. So I mean, that's another George Thompson course. I know it's totally different uh, than the one we're going to see this week, but I mean, he finished third there. That's at least something that you can you know, hold your hat to if you're going to play him, and he hasn't been playing horribly. Last thing before we take off, you have to pick two guys to start your lineups with. It could be top bottom, top middle, top top bottom middle, whatever it might be, whatever you prefer. Preferences open on the Pat Mayo experience for both my guests, myself, and everyone watching. But who are the two guys you want to start all lineups with, Ben? Xander and Rose. Xander and Rose. Kenny? I'm going up top, Scheffler and Hovland. 
I think I am going to say... Ah, oh, man, it's tough. Scheffler and Rom. I'm going to play a lot of those lineups. Ooh. No mention of Xander on this entire show, so he's going to win finally. He's in my cash lineup. Yeah, I mean that's fine. He's gonna be in everyone's cash lineup. Like if, if mm-hmm. I think he's gonna be, I, I it's just it's very difficult for me to figure out if he's gonna be popular or not because I know that everyone wants to use him because logically it makes a lot of sense, but the options around him are just so enticing. Like imagine just starting your lineups Rory Xander and rolling. I love that. Didn't I? That's who I mentioned, right? Yeah. Okay. Okay. I just I, sometimes I say things. I watch the show back, and then it's like. Why did you start all your lineups with Andrew Putnam? And it's like, oh, I didn't. I meant Xander. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. I, I think he's really, really good spot here. That will do it on the Pat Mayo Experience. You want to know more about those giveaways? In case you forgot, sub to the Mayo Media Newsletter and go click on the link. It's completely free to join. You can read back on all the articles, but all the giveaway information is in there. The listeners league is down in the description. Rate, review, and subscribe to the Pat Mayo Experience audio podcast, and you'll get those ballots into the draw. Playing the Listeners League as well. And if you, you want a free membership for a year to fantasynational.com, go to fantasynational.com slash mayo, become a member now to make yourself eligible in the draw. If you are a member already, well, hey, you're already in the draw if you do any of the giveaway things. All right, smash the like on the way out. I'm Pat Mayo. Good luck this week, and I'll see you next time. Pat Mayo Experience! Experience!